which is huge. I mean, it's like a man. It, it's big. Kane, son. You still don't understand what you're dealing with, do you? Perfect organism. Just tell me one thing, Burke. You're going out there to destroy them, right? Not to study. Not to bring back. But to wipe them out. That's the plan. You have my word on it. All right, I'm in. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Welcome, everyone, to Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast. I'm Patrick Green, and I'm joined by... Christian Motzka. And our very special guest, who is on for the first time, but will be a voice I'm sure most of you will know well, Mr. Adam Zeller. Welcome to Perfect Organism. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Glad to finally be on here. I know Aaron's been on here a little while back at this point, but uh, it's my first time, so really appreciate the invite. Yeah. And of course, before we get rolling, tell everybody why they know your voice already. So if you listen to other alien podcasts, I'm with the uh, AVP Galaxy podcast, which I've been on since uh, 2013. So I've been doing that for about 10 years. Um, We do the show with a number of other co-hosts. Christian, we've had you on a couple of times and those have been awesome episodes. Uh, But I'm usually on with Aaron Percival, who's the co-administrator for the site, uh, AVP Galaxy. And so uh, he brought me on board and uh, I think my first episode was Aliens, Colonial Marines. So that was an interesting one to start on. And we've just been going at it ever since. So that's pretty that's topical, I'd say. You know, Aliens, Colonial Marines. That's the yeah, thing we're here for today. Full, too. full circle, right? I mean, I have heard some uh, some feedback on this one. Like this does a lot of things right that Aliens, Colonial Marines should have. Um, which I guess I'm giving away the topic a little bit here. Yeah, well, well, spoiler alert. <laughs> Hopefully they've read the name of the episode they're going to listen to. So, Oh, yes. I, I suppose they probably have. Sometimes people just click on it. You know, they don't know what they're getting. They're just, you know, they're just going to see what there is. But tonight, speaking of spoilers, we have had a, a long conversation about this. We would like to spoilery some things, but not major plot twists and things like that. But we're going to be talking about some themes that come up in the game that might not be apparent within the first like half hour of playing it. Um, if you're anything like me, you spent the first half hour, you, you replayed that half hour about three times just to learn the fucking commands because <laughs> it's a very complicated game, in my opinion. Um, but past that, the game does some really interesting stuff with lore and especially addresses some expanded universe stuff in cool ways. So we're going to talk about some of that tonight. If you're not comfortable with that, totally fine. Go pick up a copy of the game if you're a game fan. And if not, you can go on YouTube. I'm sure there's probably a lot of compilations out there of people playing it. It's something that we really recommend you do check out just as an alien fan. But um, we're going to be spoiling some stuff tonight. I don't want to keep saying spoiling, spoiling some stuff tonight. So um, just be uh, warned. Before we go on any further, though, Adam, when we have somebody on the show for the first time, we always kind of give them this softball question. Uh, and that is, how did you get into Alien in the first place? What's your history with this franchise? And, you know, why are you here tonight, basically? Uh, you guys have that tradition, too, huh? Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, it's the first time I've done this, though. Uh so really when i was young i think it was the kenner toys um just seeing those at kb toys in my local mall i would be like what are these monsters what is this this is just so interesting and unlike anything else i'd ever seen before and there were these other instances where i would just see something related to alien and not really know what it was uh i think my parents took me to disney world when i was young and i i went to mgm studios at the time now hollywood studios and they had the Nostromo segment on the great movie ride, you know, only time an R rated property has ever been represented at a Disney park, I think ever in history. Um, hopefully not the last time either. Uh, but that just like going through that as a kid, just really fascinated me. Even like going to restaurants like planet Hollywood, I would see these props from alien. I would see like the VHS cover and the, uh, you know, when I, when I went to blockbuster video and my parents are like, you're not old enough to watch this yet or whatever. Um, I think my first time I really got into it after the the Kenner figures was uh, the video games, honestly. Um, 
I think playing the Capcom arcade game of AVP as well as uh, on one of my first laptops, I had AVP 99 and then AVP 2, which uh, I believe was 2001. Uh, And those really got me into the franchise. And um, it's kind of how I discovered AVP Galaxy as well. I mean, the site was kind of started as a resource for people that were into AVP 2, which is a popular PC game at the time. And uh, it really kind of grew with the hype that was building for the AVP movie, uh, which was in the works at the time and eventually would come out in 2004. So AVP was really um, a big part of me getting into Alien, I guess. But I I think Alien was what I was first familiar with, you know. Um, I think I, I discovered Predator also with the Kenner toys and it was like the ultimate Alien Hunter. I'm like, wait, this is related to alien like what is this this is also cool so alien was definitely the thing i was i was first interested in and then i think in my mid-teenage years i just before evp came out i just watched all the movies i think i saw aliens first i'm not sure why um and then alien alien 3 resurrection and it wasn't until a little bit later i saw the predator films uh but i just loved all of them and i was so hyped for the the avp film when it came out and uh i don't know how much of fandom liked that one or i I know views have evolved on that one too over time um but i really liked it when it first came out so uh yeah and i guess i've just been a fan ever since that's it's you know been something that stopped for me a couple lightning rounds for you really quick if you had to choose one to nuke off the face of the earth would it be alien or predator you can only choose one yeah um I guess just responsibly, I would have to say aliens because the predators, you know, the, you know, at least they're not going to take us out just by this massive swarm. You know, they'll just be hunting here and there. That's a good, that's a good answer. That's more sophisticated than what I was looking for. I meant in terms of properties, like if, if you could only, oh, if, if alien didn't exist or predator didn't man. exist, which, which one would you get rid of? Oh, you, <laughs> I thought you meant like literally nuking them if they were actual, you know, in reality, but, um, <laughs> I don't know if I can make that choice, man. See, I, I just love both. I don't really have a favorite. Um, mm. I mean, I will say Alien is is considered more elevated or whatever, right? You know, Predator has the more action movie vibe, but there's some deeper themes that play in Predator too that I think are often overlooked. You know, we talked to um, an author uh, who did a whole essay on, on Predator recently, and he had a lot of interesting uh, points about that film that I hadn't really considered before. So I can't make that choice, man. Like for me, they're, they're both just so awesome. If you were stuck on a desert Island and you had to choose between oh, alien yeah. resurrection, <laughs> alien resurrection or the predator. Oh, that one's easy. Alien resurrection. for sure. <laughs> All right. That movie grew on me. Yeah. That's a good answer. And my last lightning round is, are you an alien person or an aliens person? See, also, I love both. Oh, I, come on, Adam. But I think, I think Aliens kind of takes takes it for me just by a little bit. You know, I can appreciate um, the horror vibe of the first film, you know, the haunted house and space elements of that. But Aliens was just such an awesome thrill ride, but it still had that horror and that tension. And uh, it's one of the things I think this game handles so well is, is recapturing that feel of aliens. You know, so many aliens games have just been mowing down aliens, you know, and this one captures more of the, like, we have to hide, we have to fortify, you know, because we can't survive against this threat. So to me, I think it's, it's gotta be aliens. Like that's what took this into a franchise was that second film, first film masterpiece. Awesome. You know, love it. But second film, that's what really started the aliens legacy in my opinion or alien legacy because it that's the weird thing too is the whole alien aliens you know same property but the different names now i mean mostly alien you know when a new alien movie comes out you expect it to be called alien right but like we got another aliens how weird would that be you know because the comics for the longest time with dark horse they were almost always aliens yeah. and now and with novels. marvel it's alien but the titan, the titan novels are almost all alien except certain ones and the authors have yeah. all said they had to fight for it yeah. or, or distinctly ask, you know, I want this to be an aliens novel. Yeah. And here like we are. Phalanx or... Yeah. This is an aliens video game where we've had alien games as well.
It is interesting. And I think that's a good segue for us to get started tonight. Uh, sure. Christian, you want to kind of kick us off a little bit with this conversation about Aliens Dark Descent? So this this game kind of came out of the blue for me. I We'd heard some rumblings about a few things. And of course, there were the people. I mean, Fireteam Elite came out a year and a half ago, I believe. And in the discussion of Aliens Colonial Marines, the debacle, Fireteam Elite is a major touchstone of an attempt to do it right. And I would argue that Dark Descent is another attempt in a very different way to do right by the concept of the Marines. So what makes this game so interesting, of course, is that it is a, uh, a top-down view where you're controlling a squad of Marines as opposed to a first-person shooter or an over-the-shoulder like Fireteam Elite. And I think that came as a big surprise to a lot of folks. And there was, myself included, there was some concern about how in the world am I going to have any sense of, of dread or or fear when I'm I have this God's eye view and we can talk about uh, how well or, or not the game has handled that but it's more than just a shoot 'em up there's a lot going on here I believe that the um, the company Tindalos is out of France I'm really curious because that appears to be a Frank Belknap long reference he was one of HP Lovecraft's uh, circle of, of fellow writers um, the hounds of Tindalos was the name of the story that he wrote anyway I always tie it to Lovecraft if I can. Um, but I think that being potentially from a um, from from France, there's some language issues, but it also, I think, has an interesting character all its own that maybe if it had come out of out of um, Silicon Valley, it wouldn't have. So what do you guys think? I mean, I, I haven't been familiar with that. I didn't think into Tindalos as deeply as you did, Christian, but... Um, I haven't been familiar with the studio before. I, I researched them when this game was first announced and I saw they had done some um, Warhammer games. Um, another thing I'd, I'd mention is the publisher too, Focus Entertainment. Like this is um, their second alien game. And uh, I guess we also have 20th century games now as well. So it makes me think like, is Focus the main kind of publisher for this? Like Sega used to be now for this franchise. So um but yeah, I've, I've, um, I think Tindalos did a great job. Honestly, I mean, the game has had some technical issues, but overall, the the reviews I think have been pretty mixed to to leaning more positive. Um, a lot of the re- reviews I've seen have said, uh, with the technical issues fixed, you know, this is a really solid Aliens game. And it's worth noting that most of the technical issues people are pointing out are very patchable, which is great, right? These are not game-breaking issues. It's just things like voice syncing and lip syncing and some kind of graphical things that that are very easy to fix. So I think that bodes well for the future of the game. Going back for a moment, you know, when this was announced, I guess last year, Christian had a front row seat to my crankiness about it because I personally was like, why, like, why do we have another like aliens squatty game coming out? Fireteam Elite was a lot of fun. I sank a lot of hours into that with a lot of friends. I really enjoyed it, but I was kind of ready because I'm perennially ready for the next Alien Isolation to come out. And my life is just a series of replaying Alien Isolation and then just praying that we get news that a second one's coming. So this to me was not very interesting. And the fact that it was a real-time strategy game, which is a type of game that I have just traditionally not really been super into. And then I remembered a game that Adam and I have been talking about from 2004, which AVP Galaxy is preparing some coverage on, by the way, so stay tuned to that channel, called AVP Extinction, which came out, you know, I was in college, I was like obsessed with this thing, it was a really fun game, it almost felt like a tower defense game, um, but it was basically a a top-down real-time strategy thing, sort of like Age of Empires or uh, StarCraft, that... um, I felt that a really interesting job of letting those two franchises speak to each other in a way that didn't feel overdone. Um, and I say that as somebody who's played a lot of AB, ABP games in my time as well. So uh, that made me think maybe that they, this could work out, you know, and then I started looking a little bit more into the publisher and into the developers. And I was like, oh, this actually is a pretty cool pedigree. And we saw some of the gameplay footage and it looked really good. And um, but I still was kind of, you know, a little bit hesitant to get my hopes up. And then, of course, I played it and I was immediately like, wow, this is actually a really good game. Like you can tell within a few minutes of starting it up that it it's, it's, takes the subject matter pretty seriously. Um, it has its own distinct feel, like you both mentioned. It feels like a unique product. It doesn't feel like it's just another kind of go out and shoot aliens experience, which has its place, you know, but has been done quite a lot. Um and so my personal experience with the game so far, and again, I, I've almost finished it. I have maybe about an hour to go or so gameplay. Um, we've Adam has actually finished the entire game. Christian is getting there. 
but um, this is a game that we're all in various stages of still playing. My experience has been one of joy, honestly. Like I have been really loving getting the mechanics down, uh, thinking about this franchise in some different ways from some different angles, and especially loving how much it's rekindling some of my latent love for early Dark Horse comics that dealt with a lot of the themes that come up in this game in really interesting ways. You can tell that people who made it did their research and love this franchise, and that I think is about as high praise as I can give something. So again, it's not perfect. It's got plenty of bugs. Um, I think there are some learning curve issues as there will always be with RTS games in general. Like it's not, it's not the the greatest game that I've ever played, but I've really enjoyed it. And I'm already getting excited to go back again to the beginning. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I just finished my first playthrough on medium and and it was a good challenge. I mean, the game warns you right off the bat, this is going to be a difficult game. And the first uh, tutorial mission lasts at least a half hour to 45 minutes or, or something like that. And so um, I did the tutorial twice just because I was like, I need to make sure I got this because I, I didn't typically play these kind of games either, you know, and I remember some fans when the first teaser trailer for this dropped last year, um, it was this really dark foreboding CG trailer and then it had some snippets of gameplay at the end. And I was like, oh man, one of these games, you know, because this isn't something Alien had really done before. I mean, yes, we had AVP Extinction, um, but I mean, something like this, I think that had just been out of a lot of people's memory at that point. And this one, less less RTS and more real-time tactics, I guess, similar to something you'd see with like XCOM. But yeah, everybody, myself included, was, you know, fiending for that Alien Isolation 2. So it's like whenever a new Alien game gets announced, they're like, just give us Isolation 2 already. But um, yeah, I think the more uh, I read about this game, the more interested I came in it like oh you have to manage your marines stress and sanity levels and the, it just seemed like it got so deep uh in terms of of what it was going for and then just playing through it now yeah it's just a really solid game i mean if you're if you play video games and you're an aliens fan i think this is definitely an easy recommendation you know um does a lot of interesting things with the lore as well um I think uh, another comparison that I've I've heard from some of our community as well has been this feels like you're playing through a alien RPG scenario like the I'm sure you guys have played it the the free league alien RPG um there's a you know that game deals with stress management as well you know of of your group of characters so uh yeah it's it's just I'm looking forward to my next playthrough as well I'll try and up the difficulty a, a little bit and and see how I fare um, but there's always just this sense of pressure because there's, there's a countdown timer, you know, and that countdown timer only intensifies as the game progresses. So I was going to bring up the role-playing game because they're definitely, someone sat down and went through that manual and, and picked things that they thought like the stress mechanic is a great example. Um, and how wonderful to see that kind of like, oh, that's a good idea on paper, or it's a good idea in a tabletop setting. Could we incorporate that into a game? And in when you have multiple Marines that you're having to take care of, it actually works really well, I thought. And it gives, when, when the character starts having disabilities because of their, their stress levels, like this person is at 25% you know, percent less accuracy or whatever it was, um, you start like, man, that guy's a jerk or that guy's really, really suffering there. I, I started caring about these characters more. The other one that I can't help but feel was a, a slight influence was Gale Force 9's uh, Another Glorious Day in the Core miniatures game where you have all the marines from aliens and you know it's a tabletop thing so much so that my 11 year old after playing this game for a week with me got out the the um the tabletop game with all the miniatures and spent hours today but he kept saying i'm playing dark descent i'm not playing another glory stay in the core so it really had kind of gotten his head he wanted to but it's that exact same top-down view i'm looking at my marines i'm looking at the horde of aliens coming at me so we're seeing some contemporary things that potentially were influences on them. I still maintain there's a, a fairly large isolation influence on this. Every Everything that has come since isolation, comics, novels, and video games, they just can't help themselves. It, that is such an iconic piece of alien lore now. So the visual language for all that uh, Dark Descent is very beautifully recreating aliens, which I'm so happy about, when we're on the Pioneer on the space station... There's some wonderful um, alien isolation extrapolations of the Nostromo. 
And then, of course, we have these next-generation working Joes with the Whaling Yutani logo and the pupils, which is a contentious point for some people that they have pupils now. Um, but I'm just loving, because Fireteam Elite did it as well. I'm loving seeing this, this embrace of isolation while not trying to copy what isolation did story-wise. So, but, yeah, there's definitely some influences with, with isolation and, you know, like the, one of the revolvers you have, uh, is straight from isolation, you know? Um, of course, as you mentioned, you have the, the formerly seeks and synthetics, you know, that came from isolation. They mentioned seeks in the game, as far as the RPG as well, like there's a few direct callouts. I think, uh, you know, one ship that's there is directly from the RPG. Um, and there's a lot of just lore presented in uh, little things you pick up as well, like these data pads you collect. And you, there's a lot to read there in the the codex of the game that talks about uh, the different enemies you face and the different things going on in the, the alien universe at this point. So it really goes in depth with that. A lot of cutscenes too. Uh, some fans complain that, that Fireteam Elite didn't really have enough in the way of cutscenes, but this game definitely has plenty. Just quick, that's actually something that I was critical of at first in the trailer because it seemed to be a trailer made of cutscenes, and then you'd see a little gameplay and, you know, get a little skeptical. Like, well, what are you trying to sell me here? And then you get the game and sure enough, without it being boring, without it being distracting, there are some wonderful moments that take us out of that top-down view and just some some great artistry went into that. So I was glad for that too. Yeah, and I think you hit the nail on the head with why those cutscenes feel so earned because this top-down viewpoint that we have can start to feel, uh, you know, I don't even want to say because it it's such an obvious pun, but a little bit alienating because we get so far removed from the action sometimes. And I find myself like frequently pushing my right thumb into like get closer because I just want to like see see what's going on more. But the game really, you know, de-incentivizes that because you need to be able to have a wide out view of your surroundings and you have to be able to plan things and put resources in the right place. So the cutscenes really work for me because they rehumanize the activity a lot. And they're really beautifully made, except for the freaking lip syncing which uh, really feels like an easy thing to fix. And I just want to say focus entertainment, uh, you know, and Tindalos, if you're watching this or listening to this right now, just in another, I'm going to throw another one in the pot, please fix the lip uh, issues because that is the only thing that draws me out of the immersion during those cutscenes because they're so well-made. I want to go through a little bit of the kind of setup for the game also. And before I do, just to comment on something that both of you talked about vis-a-vis the RPG, which I'm also a huge fan of and have been lucky enough to play quite a bit. Um, when you're playing a real-time strategy game, which is, I think, the genre this would fit into, what you're basically doing is you're taking away the turn, the turn-based strategy environment that a lot of um, you know other video games have, but especially a lot of RPGs have, because you can't be you know simultaneously talking over one another, making decisions for your characters playing together around a table, right? So um, the idea with this is it allows time to continue to move, so that you're making those tactical, planned-for decisions in something like real time. But what's nice about this game is it has this slow motion mechanic that I love that when you pull up your inventory management stuff, you know, the action is continuing to go. So it's not turn based. It is real time ish, but you're able to make some decisions on the fly that feel really cool. And one other thing I want to call attention to is, although I'm not a huge RTS guy, I am a big roguelike playing person or, you know, Metroidvania kind of thing. I I really like games like that quite a bit. And this has a lot of roguelike elements to it, which I I love. It has permadeath for Marines, which becomes a real problem as the game goes on because like they start dying quite a lot. Um, You can be extracted from some of the missions, which is really cool. Um, But in general, like a lot of the, the ways that things play out is, you know, especially if you're like me and you're awful at it, you end up really poorly resourced you haven't like spec your players out properly you have put way too many points into like medicine and not enough points into supplies and all of a sudden you're really outgunned and out you know you're surrounded and and you have to figure out a way to resource manage and you have some marines who are wounded and some marines who are too stressed out and you're trying to build a fucking fortification to take a nap for a minute but you can't because you don't have any more welding tools left it's just a really cool real-time environment that i i find very um enjoyable and I'm curious, it'd be fun to talk more you know, towards the end of the episode about things we've noticed as we've been playing, but like, you know, they do a good job of getting in front of bad habits you might get into. Like in the early stages of the game, I was just running the whole time, 
largely because I get bored quickly and I just want to be able to move. But but also just because it's like, why not? If, if I can run, like, why would I crawl around? And then you realize that, you know, well, when you're running, you can't fire your weapons. So that forces you to kind of, re, you know, configure that. And um, anyway, a lot of cool gameplay stuff to talk about. But before we get to the gameplay stuff to kind of bring us back for a moment, this takes place about two decades after Alien 3. So this is, um, you know, in terms of canon, that's sort of where we're at. And uh, it takes place uh, surrounding you, the, the setup for the game is that you're surrounding this Wayland Yutani owned moon colony called Leafy. And uh, there's been an outbreak. And in the midst of this outbreak, this administrator, who we get to know very well and who will actually be coming on our show, which is very exciting, she uh, implement the actress, not the actual deputy administrator, Hayes. She activates this thing called the Cerberus Protocol to eradicate the uh, this nascent infestation. So um, the Cerberus Protocol launches into effect all of these planetary defense systems that you know bomb the ships that are surrounding the ship that she is on. One of them is the Bentonville, which is like a very heavy-handed commentary on Walmart. The other one is the Otago, which again, like sometimes people say Otago, sometimes people say Otago, just that's another easy patch. Just fix that, please. Um, but like the Otago, of course, is housing all of these colonial Marines. And um, we end up on this Otago because it survives this crash down to the planet's surface. And that kind of becomes our home base. And then we're introduced to a lot of the core mechanics of the game. We have like a biopsy station. We have a medical station. Uh, we have an armory. We are talked, you know, we learn how to equip our characters, which is where we get into a lot of the RPG-like aspects of this game that I love in terms of how to help characters to level up, to gain abilities, to be healed, to be properly specced out for missions. And then before you know it, we're off to, I think Dead Hills is the first mission, and we are basically up Shit's Creek trying to figure it out and uh, trying to remember what buttons to push because there's a lot of them. So um, yeah, that's kind of the, the setup for the game. I, I guess to kind of get things rolling, what did you think about that? Like, what, what were your first feelings as the game was unfolding? I mean, I I was just getting into it quickly. I mean, I, I think, um, like you were saying, the game also has roguelike elements. And I think that's one of the game's real strengths is just it it merges these different kind of gameplay genres a bit like their survival horror elements as well real-time tactics roguelike and so it was it was interesting to me in its uniqueness both as an aliens game and as just a video game you know um but yeah i i was very much into it quickly and i noticed it wasn't your typical aliens game you, know, you weren't just mowing down aliens left and right it, it had a heavy stealth focus you know another thing that was very prominent in isolation you know um, so to have that be in an aliens game, now you still do have your moments where you're mowing down aliens, but a lot of, of those times you are held up somewhere and you're trying to get them into choke points and, and you're fortified. So there's still this tension that this threat is overwhelming and you're not just running around and, and shooting these things endlessly. So, um, I feel like the game really handled the horror aspect of the second film, you know, the second film it's like an action horror, you know, it's, it's thought of a lot as an action movie, but there's still a lot of good horror elements in that second film. Um, but yeah. And as, as far as contributions to the franchise as well, like the Otago, that's a ship we've never seen before. That's a new original design. So things like that, it's just like isolation did. It's something that may continue to go on that we'll continue to see as fans and some of the existing things as well. The, the weapons we've seen, in aliens, you know, you have your old Cheyenne dropship, you know, and your APC and the earlier APC, the ARC was actually based on Ron Cobb's original design for the APC. So that was a really cool inclusion that they did there. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, just, just going through this game, I think it took me about 44 hours to, to complete it on my first playthrough. So good amount of time. Um, also, I feel you on the, uh, wanting to just zoom in closer patrick uh i use some some pc software to kind of break the game a little bit to to let me get in even closer and take some some screenshots of it so and how does it hold up when it's close up like that pretty well i mean yeah it's not meant to be viewed as close as i've i've been taking some of those screenshots but the thing is like the game the models scale based on how close they are to your characters so if you try and take a, a shot of an alien that's a bit too far away from your Marines, it'll look very polygonal, you know, very rough. But if it's right up next to your Marines, it'll be a really excellent looking model. So um, use of optimization resources there, I guess. 
and they're stylized. I mean, the, the film had the film, <laughs> the game has a very clear idea of how it wants to present these things. Sometimes it's a little more successful than others. There's a few of the the Marines, like the Sergeant with the uh, prosthetic arm on my, on my um, Xbox one, his face is just mush. I don't know what the heck is going on with him and with other characters. Uh, there's a, a clear definition, but there's also a clear artistic choice of cragginess or shadows or, or whatever they're going for. So similarly with the aliens, they clearly redesigned it in the way that they wanted so that it would perch certain ways or hang certain ways. And I'm, I'm very taken with it. I, I like, again, with those cutscenes, we get these really neat shots of the, the fingers and the face and um, getting into a little spoiler territory, but some of the other aliens that we run into, especially the Praetorian, I just love what they did with that. I think it's very well executed. Um, we'd be remiss if we didn't know at least a few of the Joseph Campbell, not Joseph Campbell, Joseph Conrad references that are sprinkled through in, through the game. The Otago was the ship that Conrad himself piloted or, or was the captain of for a short period. Um, obviously, there's a, a Marlowe and a Kurtz in the game. Um, there's a few others. I, I actually just today, I'm just going to say this, discovered if you read Heart of Darkness, the main character, Marlowe, works for the company. It is never named. It's never specified. It's just the company. And now I've got to go back and try to figure out, was was that a Dan O'Bannon thing? in the original script, or could that actually have been something that Ridley Scott brought with him? Because all the Conrad references in Alien are coming from um, Ridley Scott. As far as first impressions, I just want to say the very opening shot where you see the planet and you're getting closer and closer. I love that stuff. I love when we're shown how insignificant the, the humans really are. There's this just vast, uncaring universe. And then here's this little dot and we get closer and, oh, it's a space station and there's some other ships around it. Slightly undone by the fact that we don't see the Cerberus satellite system that apparently is completely surrounding this area. And I don't understand why this, this linked satellite death trap would be placed around this planet. Maybe I haven't gotten there in the game. Like no one has questioned, oh yeah, we'll just just link up Cerberus. That's what we're gonna do now. <laughs> that plot element got got an eyebrow raise for me. I'm like, no one's ever asked any questions about these death satellites that are just right right off this station um and and yeah i mean this game does have a a few little narrative issues you know there's a cutscene later in the game that has to deal with uh i guess um coming to terms with uh the company and you know it's kind of like you didn't think the company was in it for the money like really so yeah um but overall I, i feel the narrative was was fairly solid a few of those those moments aside and um yeah but yeah the whole cerberus protocol like even further in the game there's some issues with that where i'm like this doesn't make much sense i mean come on but um yeah overall it didn't it didn't hurt it too much for me you know on babylon 5 kind of bring that up there was a, a planetary defense system around earth that uh the, the the president of earth who was a bad guy had turned to then face earth and was going to do a scorched earth pro, you know, program kind of a thing. But the idea was that it was meant to fire out to defend the planet. And he had all the satellites turn in to fire inward. If they had gone with something like that. Okay. But I still, the, the planet Lethe doesn't strike me as a big enough place. Although I'm going to pause there for a second. This is the first time we've seen a planet with so many different colonies or, or colonial structures. And that's been really cool too, to have these different environments or different you know, socioeconomic groups even, but again, it's not that big a planet to have this, you know, death shroud laid around it. Yeah. It's one of the interesting things I liked about that comic uh, dust to dust as we saw when a, a planet colony had become more of a city, you know, than a colony. And this game does have a number of locations you visit on the, uh, the planet that are pretty distinct from each other, you know, some more industrial and others more urban, um, and Patrick, I also agree with you on the shots of just showing, you know, our us as a little speck in the vastness of space. Like one of my favorite shots of Prometheus is just that one where it's approaching the planet and it's just a tiny, tiny dot is the ship. Um, so, yeah, this game did handle that sense of awe, I think, uh, really well. As Yeah, and it reminds me a little bit of how Isolation deals with that same concept, too, in, in terms of the Sevastopol, which becomes such a gigantic 
place for us as the player because we spend like fucking a thousand hours every time we play the game in it. But then when you step out of it for the amazing sequence towards the end where you do that spacewalk, you feel just the incredible enormity of everything else surrounding it and this real sense. And part of why I love isolation so much is it makes me feel so incredibly isolated. Um, and, and those moments, I think, really... They really ring true. And I get those moments in this game as well, which is cool. I got to say, maybe it's because I'm a softie, but to me, the whole Cerberus thing makes sense because it's Wayland yutani which is ruthless. And they were engaging in, you know, things that might have needed to have been, you know, summarily eradicated had they gotten out of hand. So similar to like, if, you know, if a lab were working on, uh, you know, the atomic bomb, like the Trinity project, for example, right? Like, I'm sure they had some kind of protocol in place to like shut it down probably not with planetary satellites that fired missiles, you know, I'm assuming, but I, I could see like something that had become so incredibly ruthless and powerful as the company state that Wayland yutani is in the late 2100s. Like I could see something like that where it, it just at no cost could allow certain experiments had they gone wrong to escape this planet or something, you know? Um, that being said, who knows? I, I think, I think whenever I play something new or watch something new, I'm always like, trying to find ways to justify it for myself. But I did notice that too. I was like, why the fuck would they have this? And why would it be so easy to activate? That's the other thing. Like, why would it take like a couple pushes of a button for this like incredibly un also unstoppable termination protocol to be taken into effect? That would be, you know, that would murder an entire planet's worth of people. Um, going back to something else that had come up in terms of creature design, that was something that I evolved on a little bit. I initially didn't love how like the 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 you know base XX121 xenomorph creature looked very narrow to me like the it looks like the the collarbones are very small and like the creature has this very kind of upright small um build I, I don't know why like at first that was kind of distracting me and then I looked at it in terms of well this is kind of a stylized take on it and that kind of unlocked a lot of appreciation for me in terms of looking at things a little bit differently because it's not supposed to be a photorealistic game. It, as Christian mentioned, it does have some liberties with things. Um, it's interesting though, sometimes things really do look incredibly good. I'm playing on the PS5 and I got to say a lot of the environments and a lot of the technology really looks like photo grade accurate. And then the character models are not like the character models are very clearly semi-animated <laughs> sometimes intentionally. So, and sometimes unintentionally. So, but I, to me, it works because it feels almost like a really well-drawn storybook. And then, of course, getting to see the Praetorians in this was so cool, too, which is another talking about Dark Horse. That's a much more recent Dark Horse thing. Um, you know, getting to see getting to see some of Tristan Jones work in this was that was really cool, you know. So, yeah, I, I think that the designs of the creatures are really cool. And towards the end of the game, we get to see another iteration of the creature that I won't give too much away. But um, that really gave me chills when I first saw it. I thought it was really cool. Interesting. Also, going back to something Adam was talking, or no, uh, I think Christian was talking about vis-a-vis -vis the um, Joseph Conrad stuff. It's interesting that oh no, Adam was actually talking about this too. That uh, the Kurtz character in this is Marlowe in the game. An interesting little flip-flop there that uh, may or may not have some philosophical significance. I yeah, that... I was just going to say the the Marlowe thing um, that was also used as a reference in AVP 2010, the Marine ship, and that one was called the Marlowe. So. I guess a bit of a reuse of that one. Only so many Con Conrad names you can pick from, right? That game's good. And again, Isolation used a whole pile of Conrad. So they maybe used more than they should have because they didn't leave a lot of scraps. Um, I, I had not noticed a date in the game for when this was taking place. Maybe I missed something. Because um, with, with the exception of the ARC, so the APC, and you're right, that that's a it's wonderful to see that Ron Cobb design animated you know moving around and and how liberating to be able to say you know fuck it i'm out of here call the arc let's 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 drive off i but, said that many times in oh, the playthrough of the game <laughs> um the gear the marines gear and the even the pattern of the the conflicting paint scheme between the armor and the camouflage are very very well done very very accurate to aliens not perfect there's a few things here and there but way more than any game actually that I can think of uh, the, that level of fidelity to how things looked in, in aliens, but aliens is 2179. They clearly referenced the riots of 2070, 2177, but you're saying it's another 20 years. In yeah. The it's 2198. Wow. I don't know what this fixation is because Fireteam elite and the, um, the Marvel comics as well. Everything is trying to do this. Let's jump 20 years in the future and pretend that nobody knows what aliens are. Those are like 2202, right? The Fireteam Elite. Yeah. So a lot of the the older 
AVP games did that as well. Like oh, really? 10, 20 years after Alien 3, like it's it is a very common thing in the expanded universe. Uh, but yeah, I don't know if this fits with Fireteam Elite in terms of narrative in that regard, because in Fireteam Elite, it's the United America's uh um colonial marines at this point like the the uscm had been completely reformed and their technology is uh quite a bit different than they're they're using more it's it's more of the retro tech you know exactly what we saw in aliens there's a few elements brought in from even aliens colonial marines that were pretty cool like the plasma rifle that they use in this game was the one from colonial marines um so that was kind of interesting to see like that older chunkier lo-fi tech uh being used in this game as opposed to uh fire team elite which also had elements of that but i felt they took the technology in a bit more advanced direction with that game as well It's worth noting that even back Mark Verhaden's original Aliens comic books were 10 years after the events of Aliens. So there's a long-standing tradition of having some time jump. And I think that, especially back then, the idea was, well, if we give them 10 years, then any sequels they make can fit right into there and, and, and our continuity won't be disrupted at all. <laughs> Which, of course, didn't happen, but that's okay. But when you have multiple sources that sometimes agree, like both Fireteam Elite and Dark Descent are referencing back to the alien RPG. And so we have these novels that are tying into the RPG and then pulling from uh, Fireteam Elite to then have these two things not actually agree with each other. It's sort of interesting. And obviously the Marvel comics have just struck off on their own. They're doing their own continuity separate from anything else, except for referencing Alien Isolation, of course. But I think... Um, I don't think it's actually going to be any problem for anyone unless you really need every every line to connect. But Dark Descent and Fireteam Elite are very different v visions of how the future goes. I'm doing a little uh, hard-hitting journalism here on a, on a wiki that I'm sure all three of us have edited things <laughs> so on. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But I guess the, the timeline is that the United America's Colonial Marine Corps uh, Corps was established after the 2187 Colonial Protection Act. So the the Colonial Marines, the USCM Colonial Marines predates that from 2101 to 2186. And then starting in 2187, it gets reorganized as the Colonial, the United America's Colonial Marine Corps. So I guess this could fit if you put it right in the, yeah. the 2180s, early 2180s. It could, potentially. Potentially. I already <laughs> I forgot mean... what year. Wait, wait, what year did I say this takes place? This is 20. I thought you said 2190 something. 20. 20 years after aliens i think is what you said but so, i haven't seen definitive dates either i mean i maybe i missed something too christian but uh, in fireteam elite like they the dates are there like they, they really are dates, right documents are dated right? yeah yeah 2198 that that's that that must have been in some kind of press release because because if you type in what year it takes place that comes up in a few different spots i don't know i don't know hmm. anyway it's 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 within a pretty narrow time range so it's not like you know a world-changing issue but um yeah i'm glad that you're pointing it out because it's worth talking about you know if there was something I could change about this game, I would love to be able to turn off the um, the repetitive, randomly generated, like, you know, hustle, go, 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 you know, all those kinds of <laughs> Come phrases. Come on, you worms. Yeah. Like, oh, my God. You slugs. And sometimes slugs, um, right? we'll, we'll get a couple in a row and we're like, I think they, they're not following us anymore. Go, go, go. Like, are you whispering? Or are you yelling at me? Which are you doing? Because if I could turn those off. Oh, that would be so, nice. So that's been a pretty common point of feedback that they've seen. And uh, the PC version actually got its first major patch with a, with a lot of tweaks and, and fixes. Uh, consoles have not received that patch yet, but that's one of the things they address. They toned down the number of, uh, you know, voice lines in, in those scenarios that you're talking about. Um, another issue I'll bring up uh, in case anyone from Tindalos or Focus listens to this is uh the cultists um specifically there are these interesting members of them called the guardians which are kind of outfitted with these bodily devices that allow them to have a chest burster in them for a longer period of time and kind of live among the aliens with with that tech 
And um, their voice lines for the majority of the game, I don't know if it's like this for you guys too. They just sound like the regular cultists. So it's weird because you have like these scary looking guys with the sci-fi outfits and they're like, get get the non-believer or whatever. And I'm like, is he supposed to sound like this? So they've got their mouths covered. The very yeah. there should be, you <laughs> yeah, know. That doesn't quite and, match up. And sometimes it sounds scary though. Sometimes they're like, don't do me. you know, so exactly. Yeah. Like you hear how they should sound like at certain points. And then later in the game, I'm like, were the voice files mixed up here <laughs> or something? So oh, I, I loved the look when the guardian first in that cutscene reveals himself from behind. And he's got the yeah, that's fucking scary glass jars stuck in his back, but he turns around and I started giggling because it's like a fish tank. And I'm like, wait, where are his ribs? Where are his lungs? <laughs> where is his heart? And they make a good point. They, they very clearly say, well, it's nestled in right between his lungs. Like not as far as I can see, man, like, I, I'm seeing too much interior for this person to be standing upright. Nevertheless, it's a very comic booky, in a good way. It's it's EU. It's expanded universe content. But then I shoot him. He turns around. He's, you know, dramatic reveal. And then, you know, boom, yeah. that guy goes down. And that's, sadly, that is a, a one other, I don't know, certain what I thought were going to be bosses or more difficult foes, including a couple of queens. Uh, they got mowed down pretty quickly. Yeah, true, I was but surprised. it's also a nice break. Though. This game's fucking hard, Christian. Yeah. Don't, don't give him any ideas. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was surprised how quickly the queen showed up, like at the end of the um, the first mission after the prologue. I was like, really? Already? Okay. Um, but she shows up a few times. So that was that was good to see as well, because sometimes you don't see that as much in alien games. You know, you, well, you have like your one big fight with the queen and that's it. But this time there was a number of them. So kind of liked that. Going back to Pioneer Station was such an interesting experience to see it all hived up. And I, I went back and was replaying the beginning part. And it's like, wait a minute, this is the room. There's a, you know, the room where you, where you have to try to shut down Cerberus. And we see it the first time, of course, it's pristine. It's, it's all just as it should be. And then the next time we see it, it's almost unrecognizable just outside of the, the queen's lair. And that was just nice. It was good to see that kind of um, thought process of the, you should be able to recognize the location and yet at the same time, find it alien. Yeah, and I think the level design in in general just bespeaks a really good attention to detail in this game, which is important because it's so it's so specific to the way the game is played, like understanding where the hive entrances are, understanding where, you know, you where you have the ability to create fortifications, understanding how to be able to exit and enter things, understanding how to get the ARC or whatever you're able to get around in to the right place at the right time to do an extraction or to give backup. Um the the levels have to work really well, and I think they do. They feel like real places. Not the way isolation does, which to me still is like the high uh, to me, the, the two games that did the best job in the history of games. And I'm biased because they're like two of my favorite games ever made. I feel like dead space and alien isolation to me nail the idea of having an actual lived in and like, those are the two games where I just, after I've like dealt with most of the enemies, I just like walk around, <laughs> it's like look at things and take screenshots because it's just so beautifully rendered. Right. This game can't do that because it has a way more diverse amount of environments to get to. It's way more geographically distributed. But each environment does feel really lived in and really, you know, real. And it creates, as Adam was pointing out, interesting tactical opportunities for things like choke points or for things like, you know, making sure you have space to back up. I don't know if you guys play like I play, but basically all of my firefights, I walk into blindly like a moron. And then I just start slowly walking back while shooting at the alien because I didn't put my shit down in time. But it's nice to be able to find areas where you can do that, where there's a corridor where you have put a sentry gun down. So, you know, you have a little bit of wiggle room and you can move back and forth. Um, to, to me, a lot of the gameplay works really well with that. And I got to say, going back to the Guardians for a moment, um, I did notice that issue, Adam, that you've mentioned, which which is which is, is sort of hilarious. But I, I think from a lore perspective, they're pretty cool. I, I got to say, like, I think you're absolutely right. They are in fitting with things that we have seen in comics. They remind me of things that we've seen in the Alex White novels. There's a lot of body horror to that idea. And that first reveal, speaking of Dead Space, it looks almost like, you know, Isaac's rig when you see the glowing things in the back and, and you're sort of like, what am I looking at? And then it turns around and it's a little bit like a kind of a, a Death Stranding moment, which is another game that's a lot of fun, um, where you see this little embryonized, you know, thing in the in the torso. I think they call it embryostasis, right? Um, which is like stupid. It's be honest, it's stupid. I, it's, it's fine. We can, we can call a spade a spade, right? But the way that it's implemented is pretty cool. And the Guardians I, I sometimes can be pretty dangerous 
But what I like is that they're kind of setting us up for the big reveal of like what the actual big bad guy was the whole time and what that person was willing to do to not only humans, but to himself uh, or themselves in the pursuit of, you know, creating this cult, which to me is really cool because again, you know, I don't know, I don't know if Christian, you've heard of this HP Lovecraft character. I don't, I don't know. He's some author from Providence or whatever, but um I love as as you and I both know, we've done many episodes on Lovecraft and Alien before. Like a lot of the themes in Lovecraft are the same themes that I love in Alien. And a lot of the things that that both, you know, I don't want to call Lovecraft a franchise, but both, you know, cre- what would you what would you call Lovecraft? Oeuvres, outputs, both, both, you know, whatever's deal with are themes of cosmic horror and you know, isolation, like we talked about, and what happens when, you know, we lose our minds. And I really like that this game goes there because I did not expect that at all. I was really expecting more of a Fireteam Elite thing, which again, I love Fireteam Elite. I think it plays a lot less uh, avant-garde with some you know, lore ideas. I love that Dark Descent for a game that probably could have gotten away with being a much more just tactical, shootery, you know, like let's get some colonial marines in there and kill some shit game. It actually isn't like that at all. It's actually kind of poetic in some ways. And it's, and it's disturbing. Like the, that, that guardian first revealed to me, like that really got in my head. I was really scared by that. Um, you know, and of course it passes quickly because he's dead within three seconds. And then, you know, you kind of, kind of get the point, but then towards the end of the game, and again, not to give things towards the end away, um, we start seeing what a lot of the source of this, you know, evil is. And it, it also raises some really kind of scary questions, I think about our place in the universe and what happens when we kind of lose sight of it. And, and I love that. And then it plays with very ancient themes, which as you know, Christian and I have talked about for ad nauseum on uh, perfect organism are some of our favorite themes in Alien. And one of those things where if you take the prequels at face value as like David really created the creature, then like they're terrible films from a lore perspective. But if you look at it more like David was just kind of building some new iteration of it based on something that had been there all along, make them kind of work better. There was a lot going on in that, but um, that's my comment. <laughs> I mean, I agree with you, Patrick. Dead space and isolation are hard ones to to beat in terms of environmental storytelling. But I was surprised at the amount in a game like this as well. I mean, even something in the first mission where you're you're going into a slaughterhouse and you see all these uh, you know ox that were slaughtered, you know, and then uh, we get the the runner alien shortly after that. But but beyond that, just these this variety of environments, even in the the prologue mission where you're going through a cafeteria before you know it all hits the fan, and you're seeing people just go about their daily lives, and it's uh, that was really cool to see in in a game like this. Um, but yeah, the topic of cults that's something that's appeared a few times in the Alien series. I don't know if I suspected really that it was it was coming in this game uh, until I started playing it, but. Yeah, it was in the very first Aliens comic. That was a big, um, big topic in that one. So it was cool to send it to kind of see it resurface a little bit for this game. And I, I felt like it it took that topic and it explored it in some interesting ways. And as far as the environmental storytelling goes as well, it does that with the data pads you pick up. You know, you read about the personal lives of these people that worked on this planet, lived on this planet. And uh, I think it just helps to really create this sense of atmosphere for the game and beyond just that like the um, the atmospheric effects too like how you zoom your camera out and you're outside and you can hear the rain and then you zoom it in you hear like the hum of the building that you're in and and things like that i think just creates this really cool survival horror atmosphere that might not be as as common in this game genre um i agree with you that it is pretty stylized uh, well not pretty stylized i would say slightly stylized um, some people made the comparison with like the Dishonored games. I don't think it pushes it quite that far. I think it's, it does make me think of a comic book though. And that plays to its strength, honestly, like it, it really reminds me of the, the old school kind of expanded universe for alien, which is one of the things that really got me into the franchise in the first place. So we just recently rewatched, um, star Wars rebels with my kids. And that's a, a place where there's a certain level of stylization that, you just have to accept that they're going to go for. So when you see Darth Vader, his whole face and helmet are, are almost exaggeratedly 
um, distorted. And part of it is because it was based on an earlier Ralph McQuarrie painting and partially because the whole thing is a, is a cartoon. And so when I look at the alien in this movie and the way that there are some really harsh angles that don't exist on either the Stan Winston aliens versions or, or going back to the H.R. Giger version, it's its own thing that they've decided to create. So I don't know. It, once I accepted that, then some things that were looking like limitations, like McDonald's lips when he's talking, I'm like, well, oh, okay, this is just part of this slightly comic booky um, art style. I wanted to point out um, the uh, Pioneer Station is based on one of the four spires of the refinery that the Nostromo is, is uh, pulling it along. There's there's a, a shot, it's a photograph of just one of those spires, and it has the exact same uh, dish on the top. So that's kind of interesting. So. Before we came on the air, um, Adam and Patrick were having uh, a back and forth about whether or not this film shows prequel influence. And I did not see it. So I'm, I'm quite surprised. So I would love to hear you guys kind of um, discuss because anything new in the Alien series either acknowledges what came before or by not acknowledging it makes a statement in that regard. So this film is making some very clear statements Let's start with Adam. I want to hear what you think about whether or not there is a prequel influence on this video game. So to me, I felt there really wasn't. I mean, not that I could see anyway. I mean, looking at um, like Alien Isolation, right? You have this bit where you explore, you all should have played the game by this point, right? You explore the, um, the space jockey ship, you know, the derelict. And it really has that design language of, of the original film. You know, they haven't made anything look more Prometheus-y or anything like that. Um, so it really just stuck to, we're basing this off the first film, off of Alien, you know. Um, and that's kind of what I got with this game. I mean, yes, it pulled more from the expanded universe from the RPG. But once we get to the later part of the game and we start getting into the whole Lovecraftian elements that I really don't want to give too much away on, uh, it really felt like an older interpretation of that. If if there's anything I could compare it to, it would be Monolith CBP2. You know, we got to see they called it the pilot race in that game, and and they had all this really cool stuff regarding that. And how this game handles that, to me anyway, felt much more like a, a older interpretation. And just with the specifics of, of what the game lays out, I, I kind of saw an incompatibility with um, the prequels interpretation of the space jockeys, you know, because regardless of how you feel about the prequels, um, there's no getting around that they were divisive. You know, some fans prefer them being acknowledged and included and other fans don't, and that's okay. Um, but for me, it was almost kind of refreshing seeing something that felt like it was a piece of expanded universe that came out before Prometheus. And when it gets into Endgame, that's very much kind of how I took it. It, it really is. It's impossible to talk about this without, for me at least, spoiling things that are right towards the end of the game. So I, I kind of want to table this until we revisit it. But I think we should. Because I, Adam's kind of winning me over a little bit in this. I think part of it is because I was just playing this last part of the game, like yesterday and today. And so I'm kind of like in the thick of it and it's playing with my head cannon in a really nice way um, in terms of how they're kind of reconciled with each other. But a lot of the things that I like about it really come from ideas like Adam's pointing out that predate the prequels and have been kind of just sitting there in the back of my head since, you know, the, the dark horse, the early, especially the early dark horse era. And so, yeah, I think you're probably ultimately right that it kind of bypasses the prequels a little bit. But for whatever reason, as a as a prequel fan, mostly a Covenant fan, I don't really like Prometheus very much, but as somebody who definitely acknowledges them um, in a pretty formalized way, it didn't feel incompatible, but it felt like it was additional to it. Like it felt like it was sort of another vision that kind of was analogous and sat alongside. But I, I do think that this is like a bigger topic that we should get into once we can really talk more about this, the end game, because that's really where most of the stuff that I'm talking about sits. And in the ending of this game really is awesome. Like I, I personally really enjoyed the final mission hugely. And I think it's really exciting and very mysterious and kind of spooky and, and just, it just is scary. And, and it's not where I thought the game was going to go. Um, 
so yeah, so we, we can kind of table that for a moment. But but what I also want to get back to though briefly before we come to a close here soon, before Christian and I suffocate in the incredible heat in the East Coast right now that our air conditioning is not keeping up with. Um the a major theme in this game that again I won't talk very much about because it becomes increasingly important as it goes on is the idea of a psychic link in, within the hive and around the hive. And that psychic link is something that, of course, very much goes to the to the Verheiden era in the comics and to other things in comics that have come up in, in, in other years. The idea that the queen is able to communicate with the hive via some sort of, you know, almost tele- telepathy. And in so doing, can send out signals, whether they be pheromonal or electrical, or in the case of quite a few comic series, and also some of the original ideas for Alien 3 in the form of dreams. That's another idea that comes up quite a bit and is very Lovecraftian because it's this idea of like, you know, repressed memories being spoken to and voices we don't understand and driving us mad. And indeed, a lot of the thrust of this game as it progresses, and again, not giving too much away, is what happens when people are exposed to that too much. Like what happens when we hear too much of a language we weren't supposed to be hearing? Um, It can drive people to do crazy things. And I think that, again, is just another thematic thing that to me feels like it's right nail on the head for alien. And I, and I just appreciate that the game asks questions like that and makes us remember things like the queen commuting, communicating through dreams and comics that we read 25 years ago. You know, it's another really interesting aspect of the lore that I feel like this game did a really good job exploring. It's something that's also appeared more recently in the book, um, sea of sorrows, I believe the one that was post-resurrection, the main character in that one has like this psychic link where he can kind of tune into the alien signal, like you're saying. Um, so yeah, it's it's an interesting concept. I don't think it takes it too too far fetched of a realm, right? It's not like Starship Troopers psychics or anything like that. Um, but it it is a an interesting aspect, and it was cool to see this game explore that a bit. Well, as the person who's the farthest back in the game, you guys are talking about such amazing, wonderful things that speak to me. Adam, when you said it, you know, I, I, I tolerate the prequels. I love how they look. I don't love the lore. Um, and I want to be inclusive in fandom. I want everyone to be able to like what they like and get along. But what that means, and the, the mean word for this is gatekeeping, but regardless, what that means is the thing that I was loving for two decades I have to set aside to make room for this new thing that some people really love. So to have something given to me that this game apparently is where it's speaking more to the thing that I previously loved. It's nice to make time for that. It's nice to have something new say that's still valid. And, and now the people that love the prequels can say, all right, I'm going to take a little, a little break. You've got your fire team elite, which is dripping with prequel stuff and is, Actually, I think it handles the prequels better than the prequels do as far as giving us this expansive, broadened engineer world. Anyway, though, um, so I'm really looking forward to getting further into the game. And I appreciate that you guys have not spoiled it for me, but I think that we do need to come back around on this, uh, maybe even just as a Patreon episode. But we need to talk more about this, uh, especially as people have a chance to catch up and, and finish the game. Yeah, I hope I didn't give away too much with what I said there. But yeah, that that last mission of the game, man, as a as an alien fan like me, I I ate it up. And I I agree with you, Christian, like I'm all about that Lovecraftian, you know, ancient feeling, which was but I also really want to be inclusive in fandom as well, which is why we can headcanon the things like David, he just recreated the alien, you know, and Alan Dean Foster did that for us. So it's all good. But um yeah, it definitely merits uh, a bigger discussion, I think. Um, I feel like even Alien 5 plays into that a little bit, and I really enjoyed your guys' epic three-parter podcast for that one. <laughs> um, because that would have just taken, you know, it, it, there gets to be a point where a franchise just has so much media, there's no way it could all fit together neatly, right? And maybe sometimes it's just good to throw a wrench in it and be like, okay, there's there's overarching themes and things, but there's different continuities, you know, and some things handle that better than others. You know, Terminator hasn't handled it particularly well, you know, so there's, there's always a risk there for sure. Um, But yeah, it definitely merits more discussion. I agree. And I think a major reason why the prequels, although they were so divisive, didn't break 
fandom or continuity at all is because Ridley wasn't able to, you know, actualize his dream of creating that like jigsaw puzzle of pieces that fit together, which I think had we gotten more prequel films, he would have tried to do and it would have led right into the events of the first film and blah, 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 blah. You know, what I think is, uh, is great is that like we do have open-ended questions and we do have what ifs and we have people like me who can love covenant so much but see all the shit that's wrong with it and think like well that's okay because it has enough that i love and it kind of fits into things in a more fluid way and when i play a game like this which, which doesn't uh necessarily you know embrace covenant as like canon uh, in a really direct way it still feels like it fits with it to me like it still feels like it's part of the same utterance and i think adam you put it you know beautifully when you said there are overarching themes that things share that feel like they come together they feel like they speak to one another and and that i guess when before we recorded when i was talking about how it kind of marries different visions that's kind of what i was getting at was that this didn't feel like because it doesn't feel like a who done it although it kind of is it feels more like uh here's a glimpse into you know this beautiful terrifying world that we love that you know not everybody's going to play this game when a film comes out of course like that is that's like the ultimate canon and that that's what you know like culture enshrines as the main story right so it's very different but when we get these side opportunities and we get these games that play with different aspects of the fandom and continuity um we get these wonderful little glimpses into different ways to interpret the themes that we love so much that you know we can choose to take or leave kind of um, even though they become officially part of continuity. And then we have things like the RPG, which has done such a beautiful job of, you know, helping all these different things speak to each other even more. And we have things like you mentioned with Fireteam Elite, where it feels like it's just this beautiful exploration of what ifs, where the prequels really come in in a huge way. So all this is to say, we have a large fandom that has a lot going on. We are in an interesting place right now, of course, because we know that rap, that filming just wrapped on Fede Alvarez's film just about a week ago in Budapest. So that's like a huge deal. And we're, we're just about a year and a month and a half or so away from the movie coming out for some fucking reason. <laughs> that's very annoying. <laughs> but like we're at the precipice of another big moment. And of course, that is going to be a film. That's going to be a movie that people will see, as we know, in theaters as well as on Hulu. So that's like a cultural moment that will be embraced without just being a game or without just being a comic book. It's going to be a, a big cultural moment for this franchise. And uh, and I, all I can say is that I hope that Fede treats that film the way that, you know, these people who created uh, Dark Descent treated the property as well, which is like telling a new story that doesn't feel too beholden to anything that makes us feel warm and fuzzy and terrified. And uh, so with that being said, um, Thank you so much for coming on the show, Adam. I really, I know that we reinforce this a lot, but if you listen to Perfect Organism, you also should be listening to Alien vs. Predator Galaxy, the podcast. It's fantastic. Um, also, of course, being a member of the forums over there, as we all have been since like eight presidential cycles ago, um, you know, and participating on Facebook groups and following on social media, et cetera. Um, you know, you you all just do such fantastic work and you, you have always been such an inspiration and a beacon to all of us. Um, even before I was involved in podcasting, and involved in PO, you know, I was a fan of what you guys did for years. And so having you here and having people, you know, from your community come on the show, it always means a lot to me as a fan, first and foremost, but also just as a colleague and collaborator that we get to work together on this stuff. Because like I said, it's a big fandom and we all have a really great place in it. So thank you for coming on, Adam. Definitely. Thank you so much for having me. And I've been listening to you guys all the time too. You guys have been doing uh, great work. So back at you, all that. To find out more information about Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast, please go to www.perfectorganism.com. If you would like to support the show, please go to www.perfectorganism.com forward slash support. Thank you.